Good morning. Buffy, Missy, Daniel, thank you guys. So good. So good. I love the uh, old hymns. Way to go. I think there's something in the church that God is actually bringing back. A lot of people talk about new things, and that's true, but I think he's actually recovering some old things. Amen? Happy Sunday. Happy fall. Hi, Monica. <laughs> good to have you and David. Okay, let's see. I have something before we jump in. Um, Chantel, are you here? Chantel and Daryl? Chantel, this is, Chantel is leading our middle school and high school. Wave at us again. She's got a great team around her. A couple of things. Um, they meet every Wednesday from 6 to 7.30 right here. Um, you can actually uh, sign up for our Remind app if you want to text. Do they have to use the at symbol? Yeah. Okay, so it's at SBY, Saltbox Youth, SBY2122. Chantel, I'm going to have to tell them to come see you. Nobody's going to get this, are they? <laughs> I should have a slide, but I don't. Okay. If you want to text uh, SBY, so it's at SBY, Saltbox Youth, 2221 to 81010, you can get signed up for their text updates. You're not going to get that. I, never mind. Can't believe they sent me up here to say this. Oh, well. Okay. And then uh, we, we've got a big event on the 27th, which is a fall festival right here from 6 to 8, I think. Okay. I did it. If you want to get signed up on that app, then... Hi, Joyce. Welcome back. If you want to get signed up on that app, then uh, see Chantel. Okay, good morning. All right, let's see if we can focus this thing. Um, we are in Exodus oh, 21. We're going to finish the chapter of 21. Um, and so, yeah, turn there, flip there, scroll there, whatever you're doing. Um, and we're going to, uh, let me refresh you on something. If you haven't been with us in this series, we're, we're going through Exodus, which I love. Um, I think it's all a picture of the Christian life, and we're attempting to actually look at um, the New Testament and the Old Testament and sort of bring them together, because God exists outside of time. Do you know that? So he's at, the, he's at the beginning and the middle and the end all at the same time. And so the, the sort of union, there's this mysterious union of Jesus in us. And then as we even read the word from the Old Testament to the New Testament and kind of bring it all together. So quick recap, Luke 9 verses 27 to 36, if you want to make a note, Jesus hikes up a mountain and he's transfigured. And he takes with him, I think it's Peter, James, and John, and he gets up there and these two guys, Moses and Elijah, walk out of eternity. How many of you know Christians don't die? They don't. We just relocate. If you've lost someone that's in Jesus and Jesus is in them, they've just relocated to eternity. Yeah, that's real. So uh, Moses um, and Elijah come out of eternity, and Moses and Jesus have this fascinating discussion talking about Jesus' departure. In, in Greek, departure is... Exodus. Come on. Some of you have been paying attention. There we go. So that is, we're looking at Moses being the one who led the first Exodus and Jesus being the one who led the Exodus, right? And then we're actually taking a look at that and seeing if we can almost unfold a trail map and go, okay, then how do we navigate our own Exodus and Jesus journey? Yeah? All right. Come on. Okay. So um, we are in Exodus 21 verse 12 is where we're going to start. But I want you to remind you of something... Um, that's happening uh, as we read these verses. So, anybody know how many people live in the city of Chicago? Two million. Who said that? Come on, Mark. Yes. Uh, I think it's about 2.5, so we're, you're right there, about 2.5 million. So, uh, what would happen, hypothetically, if we said to the city of Chicago, hey, everybody, pack up all your stuff, not just some of it, pack up all your stuff, and we're all going to go have a three-month camping trip in the desert. 
There's about two, two and a half million people here in the Exodus, and they've all packed up all their stuff, and they're now camping in the desert. That's what's happening. I don't know about you. We're coming back from a little family, extended family vacation, and um, uh, extended family time together is like wonderful. <laughs> and when you get six or eight or ten kids all together, guess what else it is? It's crazy, and it's loud, and there's always a fuss and a fight and a squabble and this going on, and oh my goodness, can y'all keep it down, right? This, it's family. So what you have here is you've got an absolute mess going on, and Moses is trying to lead 2.5 million people in the hot desert. You know, it's not fall out there like it is here, right? The middle of the day, it's 100 degrees and gnarly in the desert. Okay, so that's where this thing picks up. Um, all right, let's start reading. Exodus 21, verse 12. Anyone who strikes someone a fatal blow is to be put to death. Oh my goodness, we're jumping right in, aren't we? <laughs> Lord, help us. However, it, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. That's, a, um, that's something we'll, we'll deal with on another Sunday, but that's a fascinating city of refuge um, idea. Verse 14, but if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. This is heavy, right? This is heavy. We're going to pull something This is so powerful out of this if we can sort of weigh through it. Now, um, think a minute about our judicial system, just for a second. Um, I think we have a first-degree murder. We have a second-degree murder. We probably have an involuntary manslaughter. Does that sound a little bit like what's getting set up here? Okay, so if you have two and a half million people wandering around in the desert and there's no um, sort of judicial laws, what happens? absolute chaos and everybody does what seems right in their own eyes and everybody's having a big fight like on family vacation <laughs> it was a delightful vacation by the way i'm just i'm kind of being silly <clears throat> all right verse 14 but if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately um that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death i mean this is like heavy whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. If two people quarrel and one hits the other with a stone or with a fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with his staff. Some of you are going, why didn't the preacher skip this? I'm going to tell you in a minute because it's going to get good. However, what's that? I... <laughs> However, the guilty person must pay the injured person for the loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. Let me make a side note here. If you weren't here, I think it was two weeks ago when I talked about um, the, the absolute human evil of the slave trade that happened here in America and the United Kingdom, the Caribbean model, versus what I think the Hebrew model is more of an indentured servitude, you should go back and listen to that. That's, that's important, because I'm not getting into that. But God is not advocating slavery like, like we in America think of slavery when we read that word. Okay? That's two weeks ago. It's on our Instagram, our YouTube, whatever. It's everywhere. Go listen if, if you like, but that's important. Verse 21. But they're not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. If people are fighting and a pregnant woman is hit and gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. Now, here it is. This is the crux of what we're doing today. But if there is serious injury, you are to take a life for a life. You are to take an eye for an eye. You are to take a tooth for a, a hand for a 
a foot for a, a burn for a, a wound for a, and a bruise for a. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free. You actually get to see how much God, it actually ties into the sermon two weeks ago, how much God is, is caring for the male or female indentured servant. You don't see that anywhere else. For the first time in history, a slave girl matters. It's powerful, actually, if you can get out of our Western mindset and get into this a Hebrew mindset. Verse 27, an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go um, free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull's to be stoned to death. That's probably like our dog today, okay? I mean, just, you know, modern parallel, um, and its meat must not be eaten. The owner of the bull will not be held responsible. I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 32. There's a few other things on that. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and, fa and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If, anyone injures, uh, if anyone's bull injures the bull of another and it dies, the two parties are to sell the one, divide the money, and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, and yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay, uh, pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Oh my goodness, somebody say, I'm glad that's done. Woo! Okay, now, isn't it cool, though, that God actually is a God that cares about the details? I mean, wow, when you begin to go, man, this is like, I mean, if we were in a, in a uh, judicial class at, at getting our, say, masters at a university, you'd have to get into this and all the minutia of the law, but this is a God who cares about the minutia. And we get this idea that God is this father God who is sort of hardened or angry and looking down and just waiting to bust your chops. But I think he is actually a God who's in the details. He's in the mundane. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to speak with you. And if you're able to read the Old Testament in such a way that we can look to the character of God, you get to see a God who knows you, who loves you, who is interested in the details of your life, and who cares about how you relate to other people. Yeah? Okay, now... I want to cross-reference this to Matthew 5. This is something Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. So I love the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. Okay. You have heard it said, this is Jesus talking, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So who's he quoting? Moses. Moses. That's right. And who spoke that to Moses. God on Mount Sinai. That's exactly right. So Jesus is quoting Moses, who's quoting God. Okay, that's cool. All right. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Holy Spirit, this is a really challenging and difficult text, and I pray that you would enliven our hearts. Father, can we be like clay on your potting wheel today? Would you mold us? Would you make us? Would you shape us? Would you allow us to see from your eyes? Father, would you change us? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to attempt to do. We are going to attempt to take a look at this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which is like the law of, of retribution. 
Um, we're going to talk about that, and I want to unpack some things because I think there's some misnomers that we can't even understand unless we can, can dig into that. The second thing we're going to do um, is we're going to take a look at what Jesus is saying when he says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth in the New Testament. Then we're going to flip it, and we're going to look at how Jesus um, dealt with both at the cross, a hill called Golgotha. And then lastly, we're going to look sort of at our lives as Christians and, and our call um, to do what Jesus did. Yeah? Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. So uh, in Latin, this is lex talionis. I don't think it really matters, but it's the law of retribution. It's found three times in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye. And it's, it's generally thought, I think it's a misnomer, but it's generally thought that this is some sort of barbaric uh, prescription for personal revenge. And it's often contrasted among Christians and, and non-Christians to Jesus's, um, what Jesus says about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what I think it fails to take into account is this is not um, so much about how you walk personally. This is God setting up a judicial system for 2.5 million people who are camping in the desert. Does that make sense? So what God's setting up here is actually a um, how do you govern a land? How do you govern people? How do you govern disputes? How do you, how do you deal with this? So what's, what's fascinating is in this day and age, um, if someone, well, let's make this real simple and then we'll, we'll dig back into this. Um, our two youngest, um, Amelia and Ezra, it happens all the time. Um, Ezra's 18 months, Amelia's three, about to be four. And Ezra comes over and he grabs something from Amelia. What's Amelia say? And she usually does something. She retaliates, okay. And, and generally speaking, is the retaliation perfectly equal or it's greater, a little more. So now I can flip that. Amelia comes over and Ezra's doing something and she grabs it and what's Ezra do? Bop! I mean, every time. So there's, there's, a, um, there's a law sort of of retribution, and, and in this day and age, everything is ruled by um, if you do something to someone else and they're angry about it and they're stronger than you, they can do whatever they want, right? Whoever has the most horses and the biggest army and the, you know, whatever is going to rule the day. And so actually, we tend to read this and we go, oh man, this is horrible, an eye for an eye? I mean, what? I mean, this is like, are you literally going to gouge out another person's eye? I mean, that's what you start, you have to ask these questions. But, but what God is setting up here is actually a law of mercy. It's the beginning of the judicial system and mercy in the judicial system, and it's a limit to vengeance. You see what I'm saying? So this is a day and age where if somebody, you know, broke in and stole your cow, you go over there and burn their house to the ground. That's the way it, that's the way it rolled. It's not unlike, I was just talking with a friend of mine, it's not unlike gang violence on the streets right now. One gang shoots a member of another, what happens? Yeah, we go back and retaliate. We're going to shoot several more. It's a, it's a tit for tat. And it's, it's not, I mean, this is what's happening in this day and age. So you have to listen and look and view this through a lens of mercy because it's a limit to vengeance. And at this point, mercy was non-existent. So I'm actually proposing to you that the God of all creation is ejecting mercy into a merciless sort of um, retaliation domineering um, um, place and time on planet Earth. Yeah? Okay, so that's number one. Second thing, um, this was not to authorize or okay vengeance. Because that's the way it reads, right? If you hit me, I get to hit you back. That is not what this is about. This is a law which gave a judge or a judicial system um, the right and the means to assess both punishment and penalty. 
Does that make sense? So how do you even measure um, punishment, or how do you measure the penalty, or how do you measure what the price that someone has to pay for what they've done? It's the beginning of what we would call the penal system, or punishment and penalty. And there is this whole theological concept we're not going to get into, but it's called penal substitution. In other words, my sin deserves the penalty of death. Who died? Jesus. See it? It's this, it's this penalty substitution that actually begins to happen right here. So the last thing I want you to know is in this Jewish society, and it didn't happen until probably the rabbis of the Talmud, but they interpreted this um, as a way to uh, sort of assess the magnitude of loss. So in other words, it wasn't um, carried out literally. Um, if Carol did something, if she uh, accidentally poked my eye out, it wasn't that Carol lost an eye. It was that, that they would have assessed um, it was really five counts. Number one, um, how much for the injury? Number two, how much for the pain? Number three, how much for the healing? Number four, how much for the loss of time? And number five, how much for the indignity suffered? And then that's what um, I would owe Carol. It's not that they'd come gouge my eye out. Does that make sense? So that's the way this played out practically um, in this situation. So I think it's so important that you don't look at this and go, this is some evil, harsh, um, disciplinarian God. No, no, no. He's actually setting up a judicial system by which you can govern people. Now, I am convinced that the American system is built and set up on Judeo-Christian values all day long. I mean, you can't read the Declaration of Independence and um, the the Bill of Rights and... um, the Constitution, thank you. You can't read those things and not see Judeo-Christian all over them. It is all over it. Now, I would be very cautious and say, I'm not willing to say we live in a Christian nation, at least not anymore, okay? But, uh, and that's not a bad thing, church. Christians get all up in arms about this. It's not a bad thing. The church, the early church, so, so bigger than the American system is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. He is about preparing a body or the bride of Christ. Who's the bride? Well, almost. Jesus is going to come back. He's the bridegroom. He's coming back for the bride. So who's the bride? Us, the church. That's right. So what he's more interested in than any one country or place or is the preparation of the bride of Christ for his return. And he's going to return. There's going to be a glorious wedding day in which um, he will come back and there will be actually a judgment at the end. We'll talk about that another day. But that is uh, sort of where all things are sort of moving. So um, let me just make a, a couple quick notes here. Leviticus 24, verses 18 to 20, says, Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is three times in the Old Testament. So the, the... If you get anything from this moment, get this, the ethics in the Mosaic law were laid out by God himself to be laws of mercy. It it was not, um, uh, it was for a judge, um, it was for a judicial system, it was not necessarily for an individual. It was a way to literally assess damage and then uh, mete out punishment. Does that make sense? So so you've got to begin to think a law for the courts, a law for the judicial system versus sort of my own private vengeance. And that's where we're kind of heading with this. Make sense? Okay, um, there was actually a time, as I was reading, uh, in the United Kingdom where someone was hung for stealing a sheep. I'll go there a second. Or I'm going to mention a movie and a book that I love at the end of the message today called Les Mis. Remember that? There was a guy 
Jean Valjean, who stole a loaf of bread because he, I think he had to feed his sister's family. And what happened to him? He's thrown in prison and he does hard labor for I can't remember how many years. Anybody remember? A lot. Okay, good. I'm glad we all got that straight. Okay, so you got that situation. You got someone who, who steals a sheep and they're hung. What's missing? The law of retribution. You see how the, the law was actually put in place to limit vengeance so that you wouldn't steal a loaf of bread and do 10 or 15 years of hard time. It's a law of mercy. It's a law that keeps the rulers and the people in power in check. Make sense? Okay. Um, I think this is, is worth just thinking of or, or, or mentioning here just for a minute, but when a judge sits behind a bench and has to hear a case um, and, then, and then issue a punishment, he's probably or she's probably thinking about um, some level of um, deterrence, in other words, wants to deter this crime or similar crimes from happening again, wants to help uh, make restitution for the victim or victims, and then thirdly, wants to help reform the criminal or criminals and the society. Does that make sense? So, so you can begin to see that's kind of what is unfolding and unfurling in these chapters in Exodus. Um, if, if the punishment was less severe than the crime, it accomplishes none of the above, right? And if it's more severe than the crime, then you get the story of Les Mis or I get hung for stealing a sheep because I'm hungry. By the way, there's only been one time in my life that I was hungry. You will steal if you're hungry. Real easy for us to look down our nose at people who steal things. But if you've ever been there, different note. Okay, now let's, let's sort of flip a second. So we've, we've sort of um, painted a picture of God um, being just and loving and merciful, and he's actually limiting the amount of vengeance that um, uh, the rulers or the leaders can exact on the people. So now let's flip it and look at what Jesus says um, on the Sermon on the Mount. So let me, let me paint a picture here for just a second. Jesus stands up at a place called Aramis Heights on the northern parts of the Sea of Galilee, and the wind is gently um, coming off the sea uh, from his back, and the people would have um, filled in this huge natural stone amphitheater. I've stood there. It's amazing. It's actually where we got the salt box name. Um, and as he spoke and preached that Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, we just read it. Now, what you probably don't understand, or what we may not understand in our, our culture in 2021, is that in the 13 years that transpired from when Moses stood up and said all this to the people, to when Jesus stands at Aramis Heights on the Sea of Galilee and says, you've heard it said, is there's in this 1300 years, what has happened is the Pharisees and the people have stopped seeing an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as a measure of sort of judicial justice. And they've actually taken it on as a measure and right for a person to exact uh, and extract their own vengeance. Does that make sense? So what you have is a society who reminds you of uh, our two little ones. I take this from you, you get to Whatever you want to do back that you think is fair and equal and a little bit more, right? I mean, I, you know, I remember in middle school, I'll never forget this. I was in middle school at Rolling Grice, not far down the road. And um, I'm sitting out on this little park bench, and this guy comes up to me. And you know that, that um, ring on your backpack? You know that little, I don't even know. Anyway, well, I, well, that little handle thing? Well, he comes up, and he grabs the handle, and he swings me around <laughs> and throws me. I mean, I boom, 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 you know, I'm this little seventh grader. And I get up, 
And I go over, and guess what I did? I just tackled him. And the worst part is we were right outside the principal's window, right? And guess what the principal saw? The tackle. I mean, he missed. I was like, I was minding my own business, doing my own thing, sitting at the table, and this guy came up and pulled me up from the table, slung me around, rolled me down, and then I tackle him and I get in trouble. Okay, let's, that, that's kind of what's happening as Jesus stands um, and is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, the... Um, let me say it like this. The law which authorized limited retaliation um, was originally a civil one. So the one that, that is being um, established as a judicial thing in Exodus was a, was a civil and a merciful one. It was given to regulate the procedure of the public magistrate to determine the amount of compensation in every case. Um, and it did not in any way, shape, or form encourage private revenge. But what the Pharisees have made it at this point is encouraging private revenge. Make sense? Okay. We're, I know we're, we're kind of digging in here. Um, so, so Jesus um, is actually calling his followers um, to resist revenge for petty and temporal insults. Okay, let's talk about this just a second. So Jesus says, just scan it again really quickly. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, isn't it interesting you said right cheek? Why not left? Hmm. Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Coat, shirt. Hmm. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Okay, so let's look at that just for a second. Um, Jesus is talking, and if I'm standing, if, and another person is standing, and I'm uh, right-handed, and I'm going to slap them on the what cheek? It's a backhand. That's exactly right. It's an absolute backhand. So in rabbinic tradition, a backhand slap is much more offensive than a fronthand, open-handed slap. So what, what Jesus is saying is if anyone uh, not just hurts you or insults you, but does the absolute most insulting and demeaning thing a person can do, which is a backhand slap, then what are you to do? So go, go with it. Boom. Okay. And then he says this thing about a coat and a shirt. So let's talk about that for just a second. That's the way the NIV translated it here. But uh, in the old days, um, people would have had a tunic or a shirt, and the tunic or the shirt was like this big sack-like inner garment, right? It's like a garbage bag with a couple holes in it, kind of. Just a big sack-like thing they're wearing. Even the most poor person would have had two of those. And then you had a coat that went on the outside, which is like, um, kind of like a blanket or like your sleeping bag. I mean, really. So at night, what do you cover up with? Your coat. That's exactly right. So Jesus says, um, if, if someone, let's read it again, because I think this is worth actually understanding. Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, that's your inner tunic, hand over your coat as well. So, so give them basically um, everything you have. Now, if someone comes to you and wants to sue you and they want your tunic, which you have two of, so it's okay if you had to give one away. You got another one to wear. But give your coat also. So what are you going to cover up with tonight? You're cold. 
Okay, and then he flips it again. And then he says, if someone makes you go one mile, go with them. Okay, so under Roman law, now who ruled Palestine when Jesus was on the earth? Rome, that's right, under Roman law. So under Roman law, uh, any Roman soldier could grab anyone at any time and make them carry something, how many of you know? A mile. It's, in, it's literally written in Roman law. They could grab anybody in an occupied nation and say, hey, carry this a mile. Do you remember the guy named Simon of Cyrene? We've got to preach and talk about this at some point. Maybe we'll do it over Easter. But Simon of Cyrene was actually an African man, and he ended up carrying, anybody remember? The cross. So what happened there, we read it in our Western mindset. We're like, they just grabbed somebody from the crowd and made them carry the cross? That's weird. It's very normal in Rome. They just pick somebody out, Simon of Cyrene, get over here, you carry the cross of Christ. So in, under Roman law, any Roman um, uh, officer or, or soldier could grab someone and make them carry something a mile. And what's Jesus saying? Don't just carry it one. So what Jesus is in one way saying is what you heard Moses say what Moses repeated from the mouth of God coming down from Mount Sinai is the rule of judicial law. And I am calling you to live above judicial law into the law of love. So it's more than law. That's why Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, because he called you to live above judicial law into this law of love. So let's, let's talk about the law of love for just a second. This is our, kind of our third point and how King Jesus um, fulfilled it. So um, let's step back from here a second. Under the Old Testament, when we sin, we deserve death. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so uh, Jesus goes to a cross, and when he is nailed to that cross and hung up to die, now he is fully God and fully man, when he dies on that cross, he pays the legal penalty for whose sin? That's right. That's why we're here. That's why we come to church, to celebrate the freedom that we have to, to journey in life together. So the first thing he did is he paid for it all. Now, let's, let's step back a second. So if... Um, if someone uh, backhand slaps you, turn the... When he was accused before Pontius Pilate, what did Jesus do? Nothing. He turned the other cheek. When he hung on the cross, he was probably naked because they didn't have boxer briefs or whatever. They had a tunic and they had a cloak and they gambled for his... He didn't just give them his tunic. He also gave them his cloak. See how he fulfilled it? And he said, if, you, if they make you go one mile, go with them two. At this day and age, what Jesus was even accused of should have been handled by the 39 or lashes that he got. And instead, he went to the cross and died. So Jesus literally fulfilled what he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I love about the life of Jesus is because you get this perfect congruence between what he says on the outside, what he preaches, what he declares, and then the way he lives his life. It's this perfect internal and external total congruence. So Jesus goes to the cross and he fulfills 
um, sort of this legal thing where we are destined um, to be punished by death or eternal separation from God. And then he does something else. Remember, he's hanging on the cross. I think it's in John. And as he's hanging there, he says something like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So then he not only fulfills the legal penalty of our death and, and, and what we are owed, but then he actually um, rises to the law of love while he is being shamed, while he is being um, stolen from, while he is being punished, while he is being hated, while he is being rejected, he actually says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So not only does he fulfill this sort of legal thing, pays a life for a life, right? We just read it. But now he actually fulfills the law of love and he actually extends love to his worst enemies in the moment where they're snuffing out his life. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, let's flip this and talk about our call as Christians. And to do that, let's go back to Les Mis. Who's seen the Les Mis movie with Liam Neeson? That's worth watching. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, there's a scene in there um, that is probably one of my favorite cinematography, cinnamon whatever that is, uh, cinematography, thank you, elements, um, in all of the movies, and it happens. Uh, so Liam has, um, Jean Valjean, has stolen this loaf of bread. He's done, I don't know, 10 or more years of hard time in prison. Uh, 19, thank you. Come on, girl! Woo! Thank you, Jennifer. He's done 19 years, so he, I think he escapes, but regardless, he escapes, and he's taken in by a priest, okay? So in the middle of the night, um, Jean Valjean gets up because he's been taken in by the priest and he goes to the big silver cabinet. Remember this part? And he opens the door to the silver cabinet and he starts loading up the forks and the spoons are solid sterling silver. He's loading them up and he's sticking them in his bag. And the priest uh, hears him and comes down the hallway and he comes and stands face to face. And there's this face to face moment with the priest who's a little bit shorter than Liam and, and Jean Valjean or Liam looking down at the priest and he says... What are you doing? And Liam, right hand, smacks the guy down right on the eye, and the priest falls over. And the scene shifts, and you see Liam finishing grabbing the silver, and he goes. Okay, now, scene changes. This all happens in like three minutes. I love this. This whole, this whole like series is so powerful. Scene changes, and um, the priest and the, the nun of the house who's running everything are sitting, and he's chopping wood, and the nun is going, what kind of spoons are we going to eat with? And the priest is saying, wooden ones. And in walks three uh, French guards, and who? Jean Valjean. And they said, we found this guy, and we know that he took your silver. And so the priest walks over, and he says, Jean Valjean, I'm very angry with you. And you're just waiting, right? They got, they got um, Liam in handcuffs behind his back. He says, I'm very angry with you. Uh, you didn't take the candlesticks. <laughs> and he said, they're worth at least 2,000 francs each. And he tells the, the head nun, go get the two candlesticks. And she goes and gets the candlesticks. And the, the, um, the French guards are there and they're saying, well, wait a second, he told us the truth that you gave him all this silver? And the priest said, yes. And then the lady walks up with the two candlesticks and he takes Jean Valjean's bag and he sticks these two big silver candlesticks in the bag. And then he says to Madame, I don't know her name, will you get these French um, 
uh, guys some wine. And so they, they step off to the side. And he looks at the priest looks at Jean Valjean in the face. And he says, Jean Valjean, you are a new man. With this silver, I have ransomed your soul from fear and from hatred. And John Valjean just stands there and he said, new man, promise. And, and the priest sends him out with this bag full of silver and says, now, and the last thing the priest says is, and now I give you back to God. I've ransomed your soul from fear and from hatred and now I give you back to God. And the story is this redemption of this guy, Jean Valjean, and how his life transforms at this very moment. So uh, now dig back into what Jesus said, dig back into Exodus, and let's see if we can tie all these things together. God set up a judicial system that was intended to extol mercy. Okay? Jesus um, said, don't just live based on the judicial system. No, no, no. Live based on the law of love. So the law of love is when someone steals from you, you take your candlesticks and give it to them also. In the movie and in the book, Jean Valjean had these two candlesticks and he always has them in his house as a reminder of the grace and the redemption of God. This powerful Jesus story is what it is. Father, would you help us make some application here? Now, let me flip it on us a second. If you want to know how mature you are in Jesus, look at how you respond to insult and injury. When your roommate disrespects you, when your spouse hurts your feelings, when someone cuts you off in traffic, I was driving home the other day and I was coming out of a really painful interaction. I'm not going to go into it, but I was really painful and I was raw in my car and I was like, I had really tears. And this guy comes speeding around me and guess what rose up in me? An eye for him. I'm going I'm to pull up there next to him and I'm going to glare at him. <laughs> it happens every week because I'm like, oh Lord, here I am preaching that sermon. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to me, listen to me, church. It does not matter what you've experienced. You may have experienced being abused as a child. You may have experienced being abused as a spouse. You may have experienced um, being hurt. You may have experienced public humiliation. You may have experienced private shame or shunning. We, we could go, we all have different stories and different experiences. And God is not saying that he will not discipline or take vengeance. In fact, Romans 12, 17 through 19, if you want to write it down, quoting Deuteronomy 32, verses 35, God says, vengeance is mine. But what he is saying here is it is not your job to extract vengeance and justice. It is his. So what we are called to do as a church and as a people is when we are insulted, we turn the other cheek. When we are required to go one mile, we go. When someone comes and wants to steal from us, we give them everything we 
have. You, you see that? Now, let me go very practical for just a second, and I'm intentionally going to step on your toes for just a minute. Christians right now, hand me that thing, are in an uproar. If anyone forces you to go one mile. Now, who's going to force you to go one mile? Oh! If anyone forces you to go one mile, go. Now, I'm not suggesting, let me be real careful here, because I'm going to offend some of you. I'm never coming back to hear that guy. That's your choice. Be free. There's a lot of good churches in town. I'm happy to give you a list. I'm more interested in a group of people that are following King Jesus and surrendering their lives to him than getting on a human bandwagon. Now, there is a day and a time when you have to pull a Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know him, he's worth reading about and stand up against a government. In my opinion, this is not it. Now listen to me. I don't care whether you wear a mask or whether you don't. But when God calls us as his people, he is not, and I'm not, this is not a sermon that you have to give up your constitutional rights. I'm for constitutional rights. I'm for the Bill of Rights. But when you come in with King Jesus, you do lay down your rights. Because when somebody insults you, he requires that you turn the other cheek. When someone steals from you, he requires that you give it all. When someone insults you, uh, when someone accuses you, he requires, and it, 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 let me tell you, none of us can meet this standard. None of us can meet this standard. And let me also say, you leave this place, and we have specifically at Saltbox said, we recommend you wear one. I'm not going to make you wear one. Know that. But listen to me, church, if we do not become a group of people who the highest object of our praise is King Jesus and the highest obligation is King Jesus, and if we don't come to the place where we recognize like John Valjean where you go, I can't do it by myself. I can't measure up to the law of love. Thus, I have to come and go, Lord Jesus, would you not only forgive me, but would you now fill me and would you be the one that helps me turn the other cheek? Would you be the one that gives my shirt and my cloak also? Would you be the one that empowers me to go the second mile. Because listen to me, church, if you're like me, you can't do it. You can't do it. But who can is King Jesus. And he already paid it all on the cross legally to set us free. And then secondarily, in the heat of the moment when he is being hurt and insulted and his friends closest to him have abandoned him, he is hanging there and saying, Father, would you forgive them? He has felt the abuse. He has felt the hurt. He has felt the rejection. He has felt the abandonment. He has walked where you're walking. He has sat where you're sitting. And he will empower you to rise to the next level if you will come to him and go, Lord Jesus, I bow my knee before you. It is not my will, but it is your will. And I'm not going to stand and fight for silly things. I'm going to stand and fight that the kingdom of God through King Jesus would be elevated upon the earth. Come on. Let's risk. Listen to me, church. Let's risk building a church of people who say everything cast aside. No, no, no. Let's elevate King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And let's give our lives to him. And then let's actually be a group of people who when someone hurts us, and guess what? They will. We go, Lord, would you help me forgive them?
Now listen to me. Let me get practical for just a second. You don't have to change your feelings. It's such freedom. We've got a couple things in our life right now that are actively breaking our hearts and hurting us. Here's how I deal with it. Lord, I can't change how I think and I can't change how I feel, but I know you've done this in my place and on my behalf, so would you empower me to forgive? I see more Christians hung up because they refuse to forgive. They refuse to let go. They refuse to lay it down. They want to fight they want to carry on their own bitterness. Um, they want to mete out their own justice. They don't want to go, Lord, vengeance is yours. Let's end like this. This is the God we just read about, that cares about the slave girl or the slave boy that's mistreated. This is the God that cares about your hurts, cares about where you've been wounded, cares about where you've been abused and neglected. And He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. And the only way I know how to find that wholeness and healing is you come and you give it to Him again. And I find it's kind of like an onion. You get through one layer and what's underneath it? another layer. And you go, Lord Jesus, would you take this as well? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I... we're in a day when you're allowing circumstances and difficulties to be such that those of us who have really surrendered our lives to Christ Jesus rise to the top. Father, I pray for the church, not just this church, but the church across America, the church around the world. Father, as things get darker and look darker and seem darker, it's no different from what you faced in Rome nothing happening in modern day America that wasn't happening in ancient Rome. There's probably somebody in here who is like Jean Valjean and needs to feel the full weight of that grace, the full weight of that freedom, the full weight of that forgiveness, the full weight that Jesus paid it all to set you free. probably some people in the room who you've actually become bound to your own bitterness, your own hurt, your own frustration. And I want to tell you that King Jesus is here to set you free. You've got to give it to him just as we're praying right now. Just open your heart, open your hand. There's some of you in the room who have faced abuse or neglect or rejection. Church is around the country who are sold.
sold out to becoming like King Jesus. Sold out to carrying the presence of King Jesus. Sold out to laying it all down. To become like you in your death. Father, would you allow us to be a people that so demonstrates your love in shocking ways, like turning the other cheek, like going the extra mile, special prayer. We'd love to pray with you. We'll be here again next week, but we love you and bless you in the name of Jesus.